0: hello and welcome to a brand new podcast series voiced by Maddiness. i am your host graham hussey we're really excited to bring you entertaining podcasts and for series one we're starting out with a bang over the next four episodes we'll be speaking to sex tech founders on starting and scaling businesses in some of the toughest industries to succeed in our guest today is co-founder of hanks farah kabir hanks is one of the most exciting brands in the sex space in the uk today They launched with a vegan condom aimed at female buyers and have expanded to sexual wellness and future plans to dominate female wellness. Today, we find out how it all started, how it all scaled and what's in store for the future. So Farah, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I explained to the listeners in the intro uh, about Hank's and, and what you guys do, but I'm sure everyone really wants to know, how did this come about? What's the origin story of Hank's?
1: um so it all started when i bumped into my boss uh buying johnny's and it was (laughs) super embarrassing um so at the time you know not just me but some of my friends were having terrible side effects of hormonal contraceptives so we're talking the pill patch coil really common Mm. um and common side effects of weight gain mood swings acne lost libido all sorts and hormonal contraceptives just weren't working well with me. Um, so condoms are really the only option because they're non-hormonal. However, if you go down the condom aisle, it's garishly packaged a lot of the products. They mm. promote a man's conquest and they've got terrible names like Johnny Big Boy and Trojan Horse and all Classy. That. Yeah. And it, and as a woman you're baffled by the choice. Um and it's super embarrassing. So I um, was in a pharmacy a couple of doors down from the office and got my, you know, my meal deal, deodorant, pack of condoms, anything else I could find to cover the, the pack. And my boss was behind me, and it was about one pm in the afternoon. So you can imagine what he was thinking. He was thinking, "Yeah, who is she getting up tanky tanky with on a lunch break?" Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it was was it just the fact that it was a big, massive red box of? johnny's was that was that the thing and it just it just sticks out so much it just isn't isn't a classy Mm. thing to be seen to be buying
1: i think it's that but also as a woman you're seen as you know back then you're seen as promiscuous if you're Mm. wearing condoms whereas actually if a man buys condoms it it doesn't seem to be so much of an issue and you know i was initially embarrassed but my embarrassment soon turned to frustration because you know i i was explaining why should I feel embarrassed to take control of my sexual health? I don't feel embarrassed to take control of any other aspect of my health, but when it comes to sexual health, it's still really taboo. Mm. And um, I was speaking to my co-founder, Sarah, who is also my best friend. We grew up together, went to school together, <laughs> university, can't keep away from each other. And I was telling her about it and she's a gynecologist, doctor. And she was saying she was seeing so many women coming into clinics with hard to treat STIs and uh, mm. not carrying condoms because um they thought it was a man's job so we knew then like it was a bit of a light bulb moment we were like we really should be creating condoms for women
0: yeah you, you know what's interesting and, and i think obviously things have moved on a lot um how long ago did you did you start hanks now
1: um end of 2017
0: Hmm. Things even since then, I, I think, have moved on a lot. But I remember a friend of mine. He has to name he has to remain nameless because he will just get absolute hate and have to delete all his social media accounts. But he said to me about ten years ago, he went out on a date with this girl. Yeah. And then I texted him the next day and said, "How did you get on last night? What was she like?" And said, yeah, she was really, She ended up coming back to mine. It was really good. I said, "Will you see her again?" And he said, "Probably not." Well, and I said well you said you get on well and she's great and she's attractive and she came back to yours and he said yeah but i didn't have any condoms when she came back and she pulled condoms out of her handbag My and i said and i said and i thought there was more to the sto- more to the story yeah i said no no that's it she, she she had condoms in her handbag i just and i go what's the what's the issue what are you talking about you didn't have any condoms she had he got to have sex with her and it was great and you, both of you had a fun safe time yeah. but he just had this thing in his head and he's quite old-fashioned anyway if he's listening he'll kill me but um <laughs> yeah. he doesn't listen to this anyway but it's it's such an old-fashioned way of thinking and he didn't see her again it was such a strange way of thinking
1: and that's what's really sad right because you know times are changing but you still do see this from the other sex that
0: women are seeing is it less is it less though no far is it is it less than it used to be more has to be
1: yeah i think so i think times are changing and people are feeling more empowered um and are talking quite openly but you still see it um you know just like you said with your friend like he thought that she was promiscuous and that he he probably may have thought she was shagging around elsewhere when actually mm. you know
0: but he was too
1: yeah <laughs> so it's all fair game and also what why don't men think the same if women are on hormonal contraceptives like why yeah. is the same why do yeah. you know i think it's so it's it's a funny old one and that's exactly what we're trying to change with hanks we you know we want sex to be honest relatable real and on and on your terms um, and we can only do that with a real and relatable tone of voice. You know, we don't want to scare people off like you get in sex education, where they say so if you have sex you'll die or get pregnant. Like that's not it. You're allowed, you're, you're allowed pleasure and to enjoy yourself, but do it in a safe way.
0: Yeah, I need to catch up with my friend and ask him does he still think that way, and I'll update everyone. In episode two, <laughs> has he, has he, has he matured since? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, so you went to your 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 now co-founder Sarah, and went, look, here's. Here's what I'm after experiencing. We need to change this. Yeah. What are your thoughts? And she's she's a gynecologist. The the toughest business to start and you know in the very beginning is a business with a physical product, right? Yeah. You you and Sarah couldn't go make Johnny's at home in a balloons and test mm-hmm. an MVP, right? It just yeah. it obviously wouldn't it wouldn't work. So so tell us about you know what Sarah thought of it and the next steps.
1: Um so we both thought of the idea literally at the same time. It was like a light bulb moment after we were both discussing experiences and and challenges on on both sides of the table. Um, and then when we researched the market, we thought, you know what, before we tell our, our parents that we're going to quit our day jobs and spend our life savings on Fed Johnnies, let's actually make sure there's a market. And so we surveyed 2,000 women to find out what they wanted from a condom brand and what was preventing them from purchasing condoms. Um and the output really was hank so you know women care about sustainability they care about the ingredients that go in and on their bodies just like they do with skincare, for example um, and also if they were to use condoms they don't want them to feel or smell like condoms now that is a bit more challenging but what we tried to do to alleviate that was to make them as thin as possible for maximum sensitivity and we've got a really light clean scent uh, a little bit like Nivea, so it smells really fr- fresh, not like uh, pungent latex. Mm. So we really tried to to harness the all in, like all the aspects that women want from condoms, and finally the packaging. Like we're not pink and girly and floral; we're just chic, neutral. Um, you know, we aligned to beauty standards so that it would really fit in with all the other products you know on your shelf or in your yeah. bag uh, or in your wash bag. So.
0: Once we it's quite a classy, it's quite a classy look, right? It's, it's not, we're super, we're super girly. It's, it's more, it's definitely a classy brand.
1: Thank you. And I think the reality is, yes, we're targeting women who are an underrepresented market. However, um, they go on a man, <laughs> So men and women both use them. We don't want to alienate men from this. And ultimately our brand speaks to everyone. Um, so it's important that we weren't just pink and girly. Um,
0: yeah, of course.
1: So once we had the components that we wanted, we then went to various manufacturers and you're right. It was super tough being a consumer product without an actual physical product. You know, a lot of manufacturers thought we were two little girls. We didn't actually get many responses. Um, you know, we, we tried to pre-validate the idea by speaking to investors and, it, they were like, no, you don't have a product, show us the product, you know, w- why change something that's already in the market, you know, there's one per- there's one brand that dominates that market, you know, it's a real challenge, you've set yourself up for failure. We had all sorts of um, real barriers when it came to actually launch the product, but, you know, Sarah and I were super determined, we knew there was a gap in the market, no one was doing this in Europe, um, and we validated that with our 2,000 strong survey, so we spent our life savings and actually launched um the brand with a product. And then when we had it live on on the site and in certain smaller retailers, we then we got the traction. And then we got investors interested um and more customers as well.
0: Of course. And and how difficult? Obviously there's there's two levels of difficulty yeah. probably with this, right? One, in the beginning you don't you don't have a product, you haven't sold any because you need you know, you were seeking investment to get that done and then obviously the other problem is and unfortunately you know it is the case that probably most of the investors that you were speaking with were probably middle-aged men i'm going to take a stab in the dark
1: yeah yeah you right. And
0: what was that like you know you're talking about you're talking about something that are they're for sure going to go red in the face at least most will right it's um it's just the way it is. What was that like? Because you you've had a product, you had the website live, you had it in small retailers. You know, I've never seen. Obviously, I know you guys since since you since you started this. I've never seen two founders hustle more for for for, for free PR. Right? I, I don't. You know, every podcast, every every you know, online articles, everything. You guys were just everywhere, and and it was, and and you guys still are. You still do it. So, you know, what was it's an interesting one what was it like meeting those investors when you had a product you had and you pumped your life savings in so if anything showed dedication that's it
1: yeah and and thanks for your kind words Graham I think the reality is we cannot fail (laughs) like we come from two very academic backgrounds and you know we'd taken a big risk to quit our very well-paid jobs to be doing this um and we were so confident in the product um that, that we knew that there was a market, but it it just took a lot longer to cut through. You know, I think um, the sexual health or sex tech space, it only started to get popular maybe a year or two ago in the UK. I think it was way more popular in the US. So when it came to speaking to investors, you're right, we had, we had um, a number of them were male, white, older, and didn't quite get it. They didn't understand why a woman would buy condoms or didn't understand how we were going to monetize or make money from this because there was one big player. So it was really challenging and we had a hell of a lot of no's, but you know, Sarah and I don't take no for an answer and we do, we hustle hard and we really enjoy it. Like, you know, when someone, when someone says you can't do this or it won't work, it gives me so much fire in my belly to prove them wrong. So it's actually, yeah.
0: And that's what makes you and Sarah really good founders, right? It's just you—you don't, you don't take no for an answer because it, it it obviously is a difficult journey launching any business, and yeah. and in particular one that traditional investors or the majority of traditional investors don't understand, don't get, don't want to touch it, what for whatever reason is in their head at the time. Yeah, and and I hate I. And I'm pretty sure anyone who's heard me in any other podcast or shows will know, I hate the default response from some investors that say X brand could just do this. Mm. I hate it. I hate it more than anything. And obviously obviously you guys got it. There's one big player, not even going to bother mentioning their name, but there's one huge player, the biggest one in the world, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Mm.
0: And and I'm sure investors would say X brand could just could just do this for the female market.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting because I feel like the the viewpoint from investors has changed since we've launched. So, you know, when we were raising our first round, it was, well, what's to stop them from doing it? Why don't mm. they do it? They've got the capital, they've got the scalability, you know, we're concerned they'll come and copy and do it and they'll do a much better job. So that was one. And then they started to see it sort of develop um, and could see the market and honestly, I I don't know what happened, but I feel like one February, all the UK VCs or early stage investors probably turned up to a conference where the theme was sex tech. It was a trend because Mm. of a flurry of interest. I think it was like one February or March the other year. So they've now seen the shift and that people are looking for sexual pleasure, well-being, all that sort of stuff, good stuff. Um, And they're seeing a lot of success in the US, like US are a few years ahead of us you know, a lot of our initial competitors have already been acquired um, by major brands. So they can see the the appetite and the growth for it here. Um, I think, coming back to your original question, it just comes down to perseverance. We won't take no for an answer. Sarah and I, we are really looking that you know, we both have grit and we were both put, willing to put ourselves on the line to prove this out. And we're grateful that... Just in the nick of time at each round, we'd have some really pivotal investors who'd come in who would believe the vision um, and the brand, and and got it. and And I think there is another challenge around us being a consumer brand. I think it's I think people find it harder to invest in consumer brands because there's a lot of cash outlay with stock um, and marketing. But I hope that landscape is changing a little, and hopefully, there's more room for investment
0: hmm how ma- if you had to take a stab maybe you know the figure or even a rough figure how many investors did, did you meet in total before you got investment do you think
1: gosh uh before the first round i'd say probably a hundred hundred investors before the first round i'd say over the course of launching hanks i would probably met i don't know like 500 between angels and vcs and connectors
0: and obviously you need the right investor. And and sometimes I speak to founders and the right investor is just the one that just puts up the cash, right? And and there's this sort of dreamland about about finding the perfect fit, which is really important. But some founders are just happy to get the cash, right? They need to sustain, they need to stay in business. How did you know you found the right investors?
1: I think it changed at every investment point. So, The first investment raise, you're right, it was about cash. We need the cash. But equally, we still really wanted people who understood the vision and the brand. Because if they didn't, you don't know what their um, intentions are long-term. It could affect the business long-term. Or they may not, you know, re-support or refund. So it was a real balance between needing cash and getting the right sort of investor. You know, we did come across a few proposals in our first and second rounds. Uh, people wanting sort of preference shares or lower you know, n- not believing in the valuation and wanting a little more for the cash they put in. And it's, it's difficult because as a small business and starting out, I can see why it would be easy for startups to take, um, you know, these proposals, which aren't very good for the business or them, because you're at, you know, you're stuck, you're at a difficult point, but for us, it, it was really important. And I think as we've grown through the rounds, more and more, we've needed strategic investors or people that have either built a business or understands business, uh, understands consumer or even the landscape, because they're the ones. If they're going to come into your round, they believe in you. They believe in the vision. They're also going to be prepared to give you their spare time to help you grow. Um, and if you don't have that expertise, you know, my previous background is investment banking. Sarah is a gynecology doctor but we don't necessarily we, we hadn't had prior commercial knowledge of retailers so to have investors who offer that you know expertise relevant to your startup i think is important if you afford mm. to wait around for the right sort of investor
0: how did that raise change the business because sometimes it's business as usual and and businesses and startups continue but how did that funding round change hanks
1: um so I think the first the first raise definitely allowed us to shout more about the brand. We pushed on marketing as a sexual health brand. We we hadn't factored in the fact that we actually get banned from a lot of outlets for mm. for our ads like Facebook, Instagram. So it makes it a bit more difficult than other DTC brands. Um, I think with the second round, it was a little bit more strategic. We brought on board investors. Uh, there's one particular investor who has been amazing. He's like the fairy godfather of Hank's and has a bunch of keys to retailers and he understands because he's built a business. So he's been able to help us navigate conversations with with national accounts. Um, and then even with the latest round, which we're just about closing, again, just overlaying with investors who offer knowledge in the gaps that we have in the business is crucial. So one of the investors we brought on board understands building a stock-based business and has a very good uh, finance hat on which is going to be helpful for us
0: of course on the on the actual the product itself was there any was there any uh, any worries around obviously but any business or any d2c brand you need to build trust you need you need the consumer to trust to trust the business and trust your product but it must be multiplied by a thousand yeah for something like a condom right because the, the the consequences of of a condom going wrong versus just a regular mm-hmm. i don't know what a mouse pad or something you might order online yeah. is very different right? i don't know how a mouse pad to go wrong that was the worst it was the yeah. worst example i could have chose <laughs> um what was there was there any um was there any worries around building trust with the consumer yeah
1: definitely i mean you know, our initial product, which is condoms, um, are a medical device. So they're rigorously tested to the same standards as other condoms on the market, and they're regulated. Um, So, you know, we're certified. So from a manufacturing standpoint, we were secure, but you're right, trust is a huge element, brand trust. If people, you know, if people haven't heard of us, They're going to be reluctant to try us because they might be worried about the safety element. They don't know that we have been rigorously tested. They don't know that we work just as well uh, as other brands on the market. And they're familiar with one or two big brands that exist, right? So for us, it was super important to build that trust. And the only real way we could build that trust is by educating and giving advice. And especially with Sarah having a gynaecology hat on as a medical doctor, It was warranted advice and it was something that people um, understand and follow. And I think that's where our community piece comes in really well. We've got a really strong community online that interacts both with our blogs and our education points um, that Sarah supports on. But we've got a chat room um, called Hank's Life. It's a bit like Mum's Net, but without your mum, thankfully.
0: <laughs> yeah, she awkward.
1: <laughs> I know, but you can you can go on there to get advice um, or ask questions on anything about uh, whether it's sexual health, relationships, you name it. That there's all fetishes, There's stuff on there that the community come together and there's a you know there's a real sense of advocacy there where people respond. Um, so the trust piece is really important. And I guess a second element to that is retail, you know, yes, we're a DTC brand and we work really well online, but there's nothing better than seeing your brand, a challenger brand on shelf next to the big dogs, because that gives a voice of authority that consumers see as, oh, it's legit. You know, it's in, it's in a pharmacy or a big grocer that, you know, that means it works. That means it's real. So I think that builds trust as well
0: you You guys get into a fairly large retailer, and if anyone's ever spoke to anyone who's gotten into a, re, a large retailer or even watched uh, a dragon's Den hung over on a Sunday, you'll know it can be an absolute pain getting <laughs> into getting into a large retailer right They, they want to drive the price down, they want x amount of product being delivered and it can be hard to fulfill as a small business. Can you tell us about your your experience getting into large retail?
1: Yeah. So our first major retailer uh, was Boots, listening over 550 stores. I think that's now gone up even further since launch, but it took us essentially probably two and a half years in total to get in there.
0: So we From from when you first started speaking to them?
1: Yeah. So we spoke to them well before we had the product and they weren't interested. We kept pestering them about the brand and this is really exciting. This is what we're going to build. And they weren't interested. And then we launched with a product and we sent them samples. I think the, the female buyers were interested, but it's a big risk for retailers to take on new products in a category that's stale and serves quite well because mm. they need to be sure that this new brand is going to work equally as well um, and bring new consumers to the market. So we just continually stayed in touch with the, the buyer. There was a fine line between hounding and hustle, <laughs> and we... We persevered and actually, you know, the the buyer at Boots is incredible and her manager, the two of them really bought into the brand and they understood the vision. And I think it helped that there were women as well. Um, And honestly, since we've launched in Boots about a year ago, uh, just over a year ago, it's really transformed our business um, because it's another element of marketing uh, that's offline that people can see physically touch the brand and the products.
0: Of course, can you tell us, because I'm, I'm always interested. I, I love obviously startups getting some, getting big wins. Can you tell us about the day that you got the yes from boots and what <laughs> that was like? And, and how and how, and how drunk were you?
1: <laughs> there was a lot of squealing on both sides of the phone between me and Sarah. Um, you know because it, it's our baby. we've built it from nothing, so to finally get that um, reassurance and you know that a big a big pharmacy chain buys into us was huge. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of squealing, but you know, honestly, I think, and Sarah's very good at reminding us of this. We don't celebrate the wins enough. And I think that's one of the downsides of being in a startup and being lean. Sadly, you just don't get the time. We try to, but there's always something else we have to chase or get to the bottom of. And we are grown as a business, but we're still so lean with headcount. Um, so we really do need to take the time if we can to celebrate the Winsmore but I do remember that day really well there was a, there was a lot of screaming and squealing and jumping around on the phone
0: you obviously, you mentioned, you know, that's, it's so important. You get into a retailer like Boots, that's a huge, massive stamp of approval. And the footfall through Boots, seeing your brand, I obviously see you guys on Instagram and you're resharing people, proudly seeing Hanks on the shelves beside the big boys, right? And, and, um, and it's, an, it's an incredible thing to see. And that in itself is great marketing. You know, I interviewed William from, from Vitae Watches and, and I'll never forget it, talking to him about marketing. And he said, "You need to own your audience, yeah. right? You're, you're dealing with Facebook, you're dealing with Twitter, and you're dealing with Instagram, and you're paying them money to show them, to, to show your brand to to, to a, an audience, which is their audience. It's not really yours." Yeah. He said, "Own your audience. Own those email addresses. Own those relationships. Yeah. And that's something, in a way, Hanks had to do, right? You 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 can't do Facebook or Instagram ads yeah. for Johnny's. Just you can't do it."
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we've managed to sort of go through appeals and get some on there, but we can't rely on, on pure online. And I think that's why our community has really been our bedrock and so important to us because it's the word of mouth. It's the early adopters. It's the people that interact with the brand and not necessarily just the product, um, that will help grow our, both ourselves and our community. And I think, the important bit with Hanks is, yes, we launched with a condom brand because that is the first product that we saw a real issue with. But having launched condoms, we realised there's a whole host of female health issues that are just not being served. And with Sarah's gyny experience and her medical hat on, there's a number of products we can launch to serve women that just aren't there. Um, and, you know, that's why we launched the Lubricant. Again, same principles, vegan, water-based, kind to your body. Um And then again, going back to the community, one of the things that led us to launch Hank's Fix, which is our next business, was based on what the community wanted. As soon as lockdown hit, we were like, okay, where are consumers suffering? What do they want from us? How can we help? And convenience was key. We've always said we wanted to make products all the way from a woman's first time having sex to her first child and beyond. It's a really nice narrative for us to work along the female health cycle. So we in september we launched hanks fix because we found that a lot of people couldn't get to the pharmacy or to uh, their doctor but needed vaginal health treatments so we offer over the counter and soon prescription products through hanks so you can get thrush cystitis BV treatments delivered directly to your door next day all at the click of a few buttons on hanks
0: wow and it's you you move quite quick with these things right because obviously lockdown hit and you guys went straight on I mean, where do people need help yeah you know and, and and it's an incredible thing so so the evolution of of hanks it went from you know a, a condom brand and then it's it's you know all around sexual health and obviously hanks hanks fix coming next how was it different from launching uh, the condoms which was your first product to launching uh, the lube, which was which which I think was the second product, wasn't it? Was the was it, h- how did that differ? Obviously, you had an existing audience, but mm. was there any anything different between launching those two products?
1: So, lube again was based on what consumers wanted. So, we did of NWS survey. We were like, right, what do you want next from us? And you know, the highest amount was for lubricant. So, it was a little bit different because we had. Uh, trust in the brand people knew who we were and consumers actually wanted to help build the product whereas you know with the condoms that was pre-brand pre-product we had to do all that ourselves so it was really exciting for us we actually got some of our consumers involved with product testing testing different uh, variants of lubricants um right the way through to the finished product so it was um it was different it was quicker uh because we didn't have to go through all the groundwork initially um but yeah, it was exciting. It feels really nice when we can involve the early adopters and the people who actually believe in the brand and offer products that they want, that they will actually use. There's no point in building products that Sarah and I want because not everyone will want them. Whereas if our consumers who know us and serve us well tell us what they want and we produce for them, then that will likely work well.
0: Of course, of course. And, and obviously it's a testament to, to what you've built that your early adopters are so willing to help right and and it's such it's such an incredible thing to have built you're actually raising around or pretty close to f- closing off around the funding right now is that right
1: yeah yeah
0: how has this been different obviously lockdown zoom calls no coffees with investors all that sort of stuff it, everything is everything is remote yeah. I've, I've spoke to people that are on two sides of the fence a lot of people actually say it's a bit less stressful because you can just you know you can wear pajama bottoms and just do it at home on Zoom you don't have to kind of um put in the effort and get out and and, and meet people but then some people say it's more difficult to raise cuz it's harder to build relationships yeah how has your experience been raising this newest round of funding in a lockdown
1: i think this round has been easier because more people know about the brand i think since we closed The previous round we've had a lot of interest from both angels and early stage funds so it's been a bit easier to have those conversations and actually pull them in when it when the time's right to raise around um I think the whole virtual you know an offline piece I'd much rather meet people in person I'm such an extrovert I find that you build rapport better and relationships by meeting someone in person but in the absence of that I actually I was worried at first that I wouldn't be able to build that rapport virtually, but it it worked really well for me. And you save time on travelling. Um, so actually it was quite easy, it was quite efficient for me to have a series of investor meetings set up in the diary back to back, um, without having to go and travel to the next destination. So it this uh this round feels the most efficient but equally we've grown as a business so we had to be a bit more streamlined so rather than me and sarah both pitched to investors i led the investment piece pitched closed while sarah managed the rest of the business so you know yeah. we've 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 had a lot of learnings from each round um i think this was probably the easiest out of the three and so much so that actually we've been really fortunate and lucky that We were fully oversubscribed and we had to actually politely decline um, some investment, which is good. It means that we've gained momentum and and people see and believe the brand. And I think it helps that we're in retails as well, because some of our investors in this round were actually customers, which is really really nice to hear. So that they've already, they're subscribers to our products, they've followed the journey and they understand the end-to-end process. So there were two of these investors were already, investment is their main day-to-day focus but they've uh, followed our products the last year and bought the product so well
0: again it it just goes to show obviously you're making products that people love and and you've built a business that people love as well on the other side so it's it's a great thing one one last question and and i generally i I like to ask everyone this because it's always interesting to hear don't don't panic (laughs) (laughs) What, what what's your dream for what's your dream for hanks as a brand
1: yeah i mean It's really exciting how many people we can change and affect and and touch the lives of, whether it's through condoms or the vaginal health treatments, prescription products. Um, so, ultimately, we want Hanks to be the go-to destination for female intimate and sexual health. So, I, I don't just want young people on there. I you know, I want mothers, aunts, daughters, sisters. I want this to be the go-to destination that they all recommend. And the main piece is that they feel that they can own their sexual and intimate wellness um, journey on their own terms with our education content advice and products, if it fits within their life at some point.
0: Well, I'm sure you'll get there because what you've done so far has been absolutely incredible. This is obviously the first voice by Maddiness podcast, and it's been an absolute honor to kick the series off with you, Farah. A massive congratulations from everyone here on closing that round of funding in a pandemic. What an achievement. And look, let's catch up again soon and see where Hanks is. I'm really excited about the future.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me
0: a massive thank you to everybody who tuned into today's show if you did enjoy the episode please do give it a five star rating because it genuinely does help and also make sure to check out the article on maddiness.com that complements this podcast we'll be back with an episode soon until then stay safe